There you go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 47. Today, we are joined by a very old friend of mine, Ramon Jovia. Welcome, sir. Oh, it's actually Govia. Govia. Oh, my God. I've been fucked up. <laughs> How long have you been? time. <laughs> I've never heard you pronounce it. So it's Ramon Govia. So I was going to ask. I got it right. Too, and then... <laughs> Yeah, it's Basque, actually. Well, hey, let, let me, you know, try it at least. Then you can correct uh, it. Yeah, it's a Basque last name. So I don't know if you know about uh, Basque yeah. country. Yeah, yeah. yeah, up there uh, in the mountains between Spain and France. So. Barcelona. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like a mysterious language, too. They don't really totally know where the... It is. Do you know why that is? Not totally sure. So when, uh, when the Romans invaded all of Europe, the Basque people, because they were up in those mountains, were pretty safeguarded from that takeover. Uh, so they had to skip it. So they're one of the very few European uh, cultures, at least in that landmass, that actually uh, retained some of their original, uh, you know, all their ritual practices, beliefs, you know, religion, all that I'm, stuff. I might have some Basque in me from my mom's side, who is Cuban, but like Spaniard, Portuguese her lineage but yeah fascinating fascinating mm-hmm. anyway mr ramon jovia govia <laughs> i'm gonna keep fucking it up is uh head and founder of myth division and you guys work in entertainment and media and you specialize in comic books yep yep well my background is um it's kind of unique uh most people probably know me for comic books because that's where i had like a large degree of uh I don't know, public notoriety, I guess you could say, uh, just from writing comics. Um, but I mean, I, I've worked in, I worked in the gaming industry, worked in film, television, that kind of stuff. Um, but more so behind the scenes. So a lot of people don't know, um, about that stuff, but yeah. And I would say, as far as I know, I guess you're probably the only like comic entertainment company that I know of that has begun to explore, uh, NFTs. I don't know. If, I don't know of any other. One of the few, yeah. I mean, there's not very many. I mean, when you're talking about uh, mainstream comics publishers, uh, I know Marvel and DC have, have entered the space through. They have uh, the VV app. It's a different, but it's a different platform. So they're not on OpenSea or any of that stuff. They're not, you know, uh, operating that way. They they're they have their own deal with the VV app, hmm. and so they do their drops through that uh, software. But uh, most recently, as of like, a, like maybe last week, uh, Valiant Comics did their first, um, uh, or Valiant Entertainment, they did their first NFT. Um, so yeah, so people are entering the space, but I definitely was one of the first in the comics game. To get they're, they're catching on, but I would say uh, Myth Division is kind of pioneering in that sense. Yeah, I mean, well, I got, on got very lucky. Yeah, I've been in the space for a year now. So, you know, a year in NFT time is <laughs> seven years in the real world. So, yeah. so much happens in the market. Put up the website. Just so, so much happens in the market in just, in just a week. But um, yeah, let's talk a bit about NFTs because we have discussed it on the show before a few times. You are actually um, our second member of the infamous Board Yacht Club. So, <laughs> nice. Awesome. We had a Florida man on back in November oh, and, awesome. you know, we, we discussed a bit about politics, but we mostly kind of stuck to crypto and DeFi and NFTs and we chatted a bit about that, but That's maybe for, for our viewers who 
forgot some of that or maybe aren't as familiar, um, how would you define a non-fungible token? Or if someone asked you, like a noob, and I'm not, but I'm going to pretend I am, you know, Ramon, what is an NFT and why do you think this technology is so innovative and important? Because a lot of people are shitting on it. They think it's like a pyramid scheme or, you know, a scam of some sort. Yeah what would your response to that be? How would you define it? And how would you respond to someone who says it's just a pyramid scheme? Yeah, I mean, look, we could go into like what a non-fungible token is and what that means from a technical standpoint. But like what I've found when I'm, when I'm talking to people that don't know anything about crypto um, is it's better to kind of explain it in, in like conceptuality, like conceptually, like what is it and why is it important? So I, I try and kind of explain to people that there's a couple different reasons to buy an NFT. I mean, first of all, it's like, it's essentially the, the certification on blockchain that says that, you know, you purchased this or created this and it's yours, right? And so it's like a verification of ownership, essentially. And that's all it really is. It could be for a PDF, it could be for a video, it could be for, uh, you know, most commonly right now, because of the way art and crypto has sort of merged with NFTs, it's JPEGs and PNGs and, and that stuff, right? Um, but ultimately, it's a, a technology that's going to be applied to everything. You know, I see in the next you know decade, our driver's license, our house deeds, all these things that we don't want forged in the real world. Like we don't want people stealing our identities already. That's a problem, right? So. NFTs and blockchain, I think, provide the framework for a solution. We're not there yet because it's still, despite the fact that everyone's talking about DeFi, 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 it's actually still very centralized, specifically on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, the only like true, and I'm no expert, but but in my research over the last, like, I mean, I was in crypto, I've been in crypto since, gosh, maybe 2014 or 2015. You got, uh, you got in kind of early then. I did, yeah. We, yeah. we, we dabbled a little bit in 2017, but we were oh. really like nervous to throw a lot of money into it. Yeah, I mean, I was broke. I, I, I was literally like, oh, you know, let me throw in 100 bucks, you know, 200 bucks, and that was like a big deal. And then, yeah. I would, and then it would grow, and then I'd fucking cash it out because I needed the money, right? So that was like years ago. That was before 2017, and every, everyone was like, oh, crypto's a joke, you know? Yeah. No one thought it was going to be anything. So I've always kind of been that outlier. Yeah. Uh, I've always been, I've been the black sheep of my family. I've been, you know, kind of the person that like goes against the grain um, for whatever fucking reason. It's been my destiny, I guess, in this lifetime. Um, but I, you know, when I feel like I wrap my head around something, I understand it. I dive in if I really feel that much conviction about it and as soon as i understood what crypto was and how it was a an alternative to the central banks that's when i got involved and i got curious and wanted to learn more um and so far so good honestly if you look at what's happening right now i mean ultimately bitcoin is really i think what the game changer is yeah. um you read like the the bitcoin white paper or any of that stuff you start to really understand that this is just a much better way than what the central banks set up for us uh so, so yeah, so that's sort of my entry and I got in much more heavily in terms of like how much I was able to invest closer to like 2015, 16. Um, and then I convinced my wife that we needed to invest. So that was great. I got, you know, I got married and had kids and 
So I'm a family man now, which makes things different. So I used to be more of the, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm still pretty vocal, uh, but I was definitely much more of that like revolutionary spirit, uh, especially- You're, you're always a very uh, outspoken- <laughs> Open-minded. culture. I mean, when I was a kid, I went to- That, was, that was how we became friends really is, you know, yeah. Facebook pen pals and we were always yeah. kind of sharing information and talking about- I, I met you like when we were doing Ancient Tomorrow. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, because yeah. yeah, yeah. you, were, you were one of the few people who kind of understood what we were researching at the time. Yeah. Me and, and my friend- me and my friend Gilly were still in college and we were just, we were always interested in ancient cultures, symbolism, megaliths, yeah. that sort of thing. So, you know, when we heard about the project, we just kind of volunteered. We were like, oh, they need help researching stuff. We'll do this. And, yeah. Which yeah. was amazing. Yeah. Which was amazing. I mean, for, for the people that don't know, like my passion has always been kind of understanding the nature of our reality. Like that's probably the broadest way to describe it. Um, so when... I guess I first started being exposed to uh, an alternative take to history was when I was like, oh, fuck, there's so much more to discover yeah. that's not being shared with us that, that, you know, obviously, I mean, now censorship is like so fucking obvious. Yeah. So much of our past and our origins is a mystery. Yeah to us still so that's right it's right it's been mystified it's been rewritten i mean there's there's crazy so I, when i did that documentary that really opened my eyes to the fact that there is definitely much more um coordinated effort to hide this information whereas before you know i kind of just chalked it up to like the, the the uh failure of like just the many parts of society and that like there's just a natural breakdown but when you really keep digging and you start following money and you start looking at events and looking at secret societies and organizations and boards of trustees and who runs what like you guys know right um yeah. that's when you start to figure out oh shit this is coordinated why, what are they hiding and, and why would they hide it so we so back in 2012, I said, fuck it, let's just go do a documentary on ancient archaeology. Let's go all around the world and, and start looking at the pyramids and ley lines and really try to fucking understand what's going on. And this was before, you know, it, it was really mainstream. This was like probably right when Ancient Aliens was starting up that we started was, doing research. I think it was around that time. And that show kind of started to bring a program on these yeah. kind of put a spotlight on like what we were doing so we were able to get more traction so we just fucking poured all of our savings it was me and a few friends who were also you know filmmakers uh at the time and i had already done stuff for some of the multi-channel networks for youtube so i was like a i was bartending and waiting tables and and just shooting like you know short commercials and promo videos and all that stuff for clients um and I had always known that I wanted to tell stories and you know, do film, television, comics. Well, that, that's kind of what I wanted to get back to is, uh, you know, storytelling. Like you talked about, well, you know, when you were younger, before you were a family man, you were more like outspoken about some mm -hmm. of these things happening in the world and yeah. kind of toned it down. But I think, I think using storytelling can be equally as effective of a way to reveal some of these deeper truths, probably even more effective. I think Jordan... Well, yeah. Jordan Peterson might argue it's more effective in the sense because a story takes yes. you know, multiple truths and kind of distills them into a really simplified symbolic format. 100%. And I think that's like, honestly, that 
there's it's a double-edged sword right because that's also the core of propaganda sure in yeah. time so it's like a very fine line like at the end of the day uh disagreeing parties can very easily point to content on either side and call it propaganda because there is literally everything is propaganda and i know i'm not exaggerating any kind of media that has a message is propaganda we agree period. we've said that on the show multiple times too like this is propaganda what we're doing except this is propaganda that exposes propaganda like yeah, it's, it's, propaganda uh, that is trying to propagate to people that hey propaganda is a thing here's how it works on you yeah. but it's still you know we are propagating an idea right and of course worldview and a way of thinking and looking at stuff so exactly and, and storytelling is the most powerful way through metaphor through um eliciting an emotional reaction all that stuff you know that that is how you wake people up that's also how you keep people asleep right so it's like like i said it's a double-edged sword so for me my like i grew up catholic so same i, I was very religious like very religious like i was an altar boy like i mean and i was oh, i wasn't an altar I boy. But yeah, i did all the like sacraments and all that stuff yeah yeah yeah, no, and I did too, but I was like fully invested in Catholicism, like as a kid from age, I don't know, six or seven, all the way up to like 13, 14. And I was like, I actually thought I was going to become a priest. I mean, I was just so wow. fascinated by the lifestyle of uh, of a monk or I, I still, aesthetic, you know? Uh, I still find that lifestyle fascinating, actually. And, you know, there, there was a part of me out of college and I wasn't even religious, but there was a part of me that was like, man, it'd be kind of cool to be a monk. Totally, <laughs> to yeah. Exclude myself from society and just read and braille. Learn and, and like learn yeah. and understand these sort of deeper concepts that we're, you know, we're not really allowed to explore because they're considered dangerous or, you know, various things, right? So, so that was sort of like my, my like awakening, I guess you could say, started when I was around like 16. And I, I, and that's when I was like, yeah. I need to go tell stories. Uh, I just have these like stories inside of me that I need to come out. And it's just for, just to teach people how to be better people. Like, cause I was just so disenfranchised by the hypocrisy of the Catholic church. And like, thank God I was never, you know, molested or anything like that. I actually had some really great experiences with some really great uh, scholars that were priests. So, you know, that, that part of that was a good example, but I actually came up against, uh, uh, surprisingly, racism in, in high school. And I wasn't expecting that from Christian brothers, you know? Yeah. So I was hearing shit from, from some of the secular teachers about how the brothers were talking about me. Like I became popular in high school and I ran for student body president and all this shit. And, uh, and I was going through some problems at home. My, you know, my parents were getting a divorce. So like literally a couple of different structures broke down at the same time, my family and my religion. And so when those two, like, what I thought were like these eternal pillars of what make me me were like wrecked. I fucking went into a bad depression and started fucking up. I just like, I went from like a straight A student to like not giving a shit about yeah. anything. And so I that was a similar of, journey with the church being like the first, I don't want to say breaking point, but like the first thing where once I was able to question that it, it just became inevitable that I would question everything else afterward. Yeah. Like, you know, once I questioned the religious worldview that I was raised under, it, it became much more easier to start questioning, you know, the government and every authority. Yeah. yeah. 
it's yeah, like you said, it's really any authority and really kind of trying to understand like, number one, where does that authority derive its power? And number two, does that authority have our best interests in mind? And what I was finding was no, like number one, the power is derived from fucking thin air, right? Uh, most of the times in these situations. And then hey, beyond that, it's like, they're, they're not even really looking out for you. They, they're just, you know, they have their own agenda, they're enriching themselves, they have a system that needs to be fed and they need people in there, you know, buying what they're selling. And so because I was so like- uh, Disillusioned. Yeah, but I, at the same time, like there was something very like real and, and tangible and inspirational about the story of, of Jesus and Jesus yeah. Christ and who he is. And I was fascinated by it. And I was like, there's gotta be something more to this. So that's what made me decide to go like explore uh, a world religions, understanding, you know, what, what is Islam? What, what is, what, why, do, why is Judaism so different from Christianity? What are all these different things? What is Hinduism? I read the Bhagavad Gita. Like I went to a fucking Jehovah's Witness kingdom hall. You know, I literally was like, I just want to see what is religion? Like who's fucking running these shows? And that's when I realized, oh shit, this is like, this is like a system run by people that's been perpetuated for, you know, however many years for each individual sect of religion. And, and the one common thread is just like these ideals of like how to be a good human being. And that's where we should fucking leave it. <laughs> like we don't have to make all these dogmatic rituals. And that's when I started kind of, you know, understanding my place in the world was more about like asking those questions and, and as a storyteller, making people ask those questions. And like, I'm not here to give anybody answers because we all are going to find different answers, but I got stories to tell and I want to like ask these questions and, and you know, have people just thinking at a different level. So, so that, that took me to all that stuff and brought me back to- I, I would say you, you know, you fall into the category of, of a mystic. And I think that's kind of where Brent and I fall as well, where, you know, we're, we're spiritual, we're spiritually inclined. We do think there's, a, you know, a bigger reality than the one that we're in. But at the same time, I think we, we view uh, the religious institutions as stagnating. They stifle that. And I think a mystic, they don't believe that there's any like intermediary between your relationship and the divine. It's, it's between you right. and the divine. You don't go through a rabbi or a priest or any right. mom or anything. You don't need a middleman. You don't need a middleman. You know, salvation of your soul. Oh, exactly. Some yeah. people do though, because Some people might, yeah. there's I, one, You're right. You're right. one thing that's, <laughs> one thing that is that, that I've noticed is that we've got, you know, people that are more independent minded that can take ideas and, and kind of generate an amalgamation and come to their own understanding on their own by, you know, questioning things. But there are people who just glom onto an authoritarian structure and they don't have the uh, internal capacity for that, that sort of critical reflection. I don't know. I don't know, even know how to put it into words, but they don't have that ability to sort of like form their own structure by taking bits. They have to sort of glom onto another one. Uh, yeah, they can't synthesize, I think. And, and you're right. I think it has to do with sort of the, their critical awareness, um, you know, but, but again, the way I look at religion is, is like a ladder, right? So you're not going to be able to fly up to the top of the house by yourself, right? So you do need a ladder to get to these certain points or stages. You may need, you know, if you're, if you're mentally just not in a good place, maybe you do need a church, maybe you do need a priest, maybe you do need a rabbi, whatever that is, right? And then once you get to a certain sort of level of understanding, 
really of yourself, at that point, ideally, you want to be able to let go of that ladder and trust in that sort of, you know, divine connection that we all ultimately have, despite what anyone will tell us, right? Totally. How, how they'll interject their relationship between you, know, you and God, but however you define that. That's the cool thing about storytelling, too, is that, you know, stories, while literal fiction, they contain what's like, uh, like moralistic truth, where like, you can have like the moral of the story. And that's sort of true, regardless of context, like, you can have like the, the idea of like, you know, something coming back to bite you in the behind that that's a kind of like, you know, it could be the moral of the story that is, you know, is true. Whereas if you, you know, treat somebody poorly or you react poorly or you handle a situation poorly, it can come back to bite you in the butt. And that's just sort of like a really small example. But that's one of the things that Peterson argues about the biblical stories. And it's why I think his biblical lectures are so popular is that he takes those stories and instead of attacking them for not being literal, he sort of breaks them down in a psychological framework and, and, and asks like, okay, well, what's the moral of the story? You know, and why would these be, why would it be so important? And he does a really good job explaining it, but that's, that's the power of storytelling, which is what I yeah, love. Exactly. And I mean, again, that because I was so devoted to Catholicism, I would listen to the sermons. I would think about the fucking questions that they would ask in the mass. You know, this was like a very personal, uh, introspective thing for me. So, you know, in understanding that and in understanding the power of story, you know, of a fable, right, essentially, um, a parable to, to change someone's perspective from going from being possibly hateful and angry to understanding, like, we got to be more compassionate towards each other. I was like, that's what I'm about. That, that is like, there needs to be more of that. Right. And so the challenge is like taking those concepts and, and trying to integrate in, in today's society because everything's so fucking fractured. Right. And everyone has their own, uh, individual perspectives. So it's hard to find, sometimes it's hard to find that middle ground. But again, that's why story is so, so powerful, because if you can really find, you know, uh, just a, a universal message that gives the opportunity for, you know, growth and change and shifting away from kind of problematic ways of approaching each other. Also, that, that we've all experienced, I think, over the last, like, I don't know, two years in particular. Right. With immense intensity. <laughs> yeah, no. And it's, it's also, like, very endemic to humanity. Like, we we tell stories. We've always told stories for as long as we've been existed. It's like very, uh, it's, it's a, an essential part of being human is telling stories and, and sharing them and communicating and having conversations. So that's kind of like why we like to have chats and tell stories. Yeah. I love it. Um, so, yeah. yeah it's a, so that like, you know, me sort of being in that frame of mind of being open to, you know, not a mainstream narrative. Um, just kind of open up new new areas of learning and experience for me. So we went overseas, spent a month in South America, you know, actually getting to see these some of these ancient sites um, that were on ancient aliens. And again, see for myself in a very visceral, experiential way, like, is this bullshit or not? And like, I literally got to go down to a, a museum in, in Peru and like take pictures and hold these elongated skulls and like all the shit that you should see on like ancient aliens. Yeah, and everyone's like, oh, Ryan, uh, Ryan Forster. 
Yep, Brian Forrester, yeah. I, I want to try to get him on actually to talk specifically about the skulls in Peru. And he he like comments on some of my Instagram posts once in a while. So I was thinking about like reaching out and sending him a message. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, he's a nice guy. Like I've known him for years. I haven't talked to him in a few years just because I've been so heavy in um, you know, crypto and entertainment. But um, but yeah, I, there there was a time where I was literally like, I mean, I got to I got to interview people like you know, Greg Braden and um, Michael Cremo and uh, um, God, the guy in South Africa. Shit, how am I blanking on his name? He started the Ubuntu movement. Um, oh wow! Completely blanking on his name. Awful. He's actually awesome. Really, really authentic. And so I, I got to kind of talk to those people too, right? Because there's a lot of charlatans in the space. Like I'm not going to bullshit. Sure. We we all know that there are people here that are grifting. Michael Tillinger. Uh, Michael Tellinger. Yep. So Michael Tellinger um, is just amazing. Uh, and he was discovering some, you know, artifacts in South Africa that just suggest, uh, they kind of corroborated some of the theories that we're exploring about, um, you know, a civilization that spanned the whole globe. A long time. Oh, really? So William uh, Bramley in Gods of Eden talks about that? Yes, sort of. Have you heard of that book? That's, uh, that's a good one. It's a good one. Oh. Gods of, Eden. Gods of Eden. It's a William, uh, yeah. William Bramley. It's a very good one, and like I, I feel like almost the uh, the ancient aliens thing has kind of been sort of joked over in a way. Like we sort of have like anytime I hear of ancient aliens now in my head, I see the picture of that guy with the yeah. hair being well, like aliens. That's why, that's why I said earlier. You know, it started to bring a program on the subject, meaning by association, it started to make people just not take it as serious. They well, that's the thing, and, and this is what people don't realize, and, you know, it's a controversial subject. A lot more people, I think, are awake to this, yeah. um, but that's by design, you know. They're, the, the, that whole movement is, is compromised as well. There are people in that movement that are paid to be in that movement to spread bullshit, to discredit, like, the legit stuff that gets found. Yeah, I'm not going to name drop, but there are some names that are <laughs> coming to my head right now. Yeah, I won't either, because I don't want to... So one of the things that I keep thinking about through our conversation, because we, you know, we went from from DeFi and crypto and NFTs into storytelling and then into spirituality, I guess, trying to find how those things link or if are we are we heading away from spirituality, I guess, as a society, as we become more and more digitized, because you talked about, you know, NFTs are going to yeah. coming incorporated into almost everything right our our licenses and all this stuff is that a good or a bad thing is that going to take away privacy from people and this is why i think a lot of folks who might have some kind of interest in nfts or DeFi or crypto are hesitant about it who don't understand it um but one of the things i tell them is like look we've been heading towards a digitized currency for like the past 30 years at least since the internet has come about. And now most money in existence that is fiat money is already just Started digital. It's already just data and, and numbers and computer parts. Very, very small percentage of it is physical cash. So we're already heading in that direction. They're already digitizing the currency. Well, I mean, look, fiat is, is a joke, honestly, yeah. at the end of the day. Look, if you look at what happened, all right, you know, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this before, but look, the central bank basically took us over at like 1913, right? Yep. Yeah. Then in 1971, they switched away from gold-backed dollar to the oil-backed 
dollar. And that ultimately was like the final stage before they could transition over into this digital uh, currency. And again, that's the central bank system that we're talking about that, you know, for a long time, it's, it's been what runs the fucking planet. I think crypto is, I see crypto as more of a response to it. Cause it is. Yeah. Because it's like, again, the money was already going digital. It's already heading in that direction. Well, crypto is like, all right, well, if they're going to do a digital currency, let's just make our own digital currency that's not centrally controlled. And well, and that's that's a challenge, right? Because you've got Bitcoin, which is as close to decentralized as you can get. And then you've literally got everything else, which is still heavily uh, centralized when it comes down to it. You know, if you look at who the founders are and of, of all these different chains, right? Because we talk about it in NFTs too, because people are like, oh, you know, Ethereum is too expensive with the gas and this and that, um, which I totally understand. And it does make sense. It's definitely cost prohibitive for the average person, especially if you hadn't already been in crypto or you don't have that kind of like- It's, it isn't, it is intimidating when you first get involved with it. And then you, yeah, you realize all the fees and stuff. It, it, yeah. it could turn people off very easily. Yeah. 100%. And if you don't have the right education or a teacher, it's very easy to lose money, especially because there's scammers. Like you said, there, there are scammers, there are some pyramid schemes, but at its core, that's not what the technology is. It's that's also inevitable. I feel like any new thing that comes about, you're always going to have people who are going to try to take advantage of it in some way to pull one over on others. So, yeah, Ex- exactly. So you can't necessarily label it. I mean, again, this all connects to. <laughs> the powers that be, right? The current, you know, global control system, you know, it may be compartmentalized. So it's harder to, you know, connect those dots. But if you follow the money and you follow the board of trustees and these advisors and all this shit, it's the same fucking people. It's, you know, the, the World Trade Organization, IMF, you know, all those same Bilderberg group, the, the, the World Economic Forum, yep. like, yeah, Council on Foreign Relations. Yeah, the fucking paper trail is there. Anyone who at this point is unwilling to follow that paper trail or accept that these people are clearly coordinating to move an agenda forward, then you know it's hard to even talk to those yeah. people. After the after the last two years, too, it's like yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, not something has happened, dude. Know? For me, it's amazing. It's been amazing because I have been in the. Uh, <laughs> I've been on that side of the battle for many, many years, but, you know, alone, because you couldn't talk about that kind of shit in 2012, you know, there was like, I don't know, maybe 30 people, 40 people on YouTube who were even addressing that kind of shit. A lot of it was shadow banned, you know, so. Yeah. And now a bunch of those people are gone. Like, uh, like Corbett, James Corbett. Yeah. Huge fan of James Corbett. I've been following him for years. Yeah. Like, I know Alex Jones was like the first real major ban and that set this precedent, but it was when they removed the Corbett report from YouTube. Well, look, and that, I'll, was I'll, how I, but that was how I really, truly know. I was like, all right, this is it. We're in, we're in it now. We're already in totalitarianism light. I'm like, James Corbett is gone from YouTube. He's been on YouTube for well over a decade. And yeah. it just and more and more people every, the last two years, they did a fucking purge that yeah. just eliminated a lot more. And yeah. so- like for me at this point, I'm honestly uh, very optimistic about where things are going now. Um, you yeah, know, the last couple of weeks have been fascinating in development. Yeah, yeah. Well, the tides are turning. Like the truth is coming out. Like this is something that I have been. Ho- I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. To be honest, you know, because 
Like, who the fuck gives up all their shit, quits their job, and goes to South America to find the truth? Like, that's literally did. We documented it. We were kids. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing. This was like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it was only 10 years ago, but it feels like ages ago. And, and, you know, what we did was, for our personal journeys, it propelled things forward and solidified things in my mind. I got to see the result of the alleged, you know, technology. And I'm like, there was something going on here because this is fucking laser cut. And no one is talking about it. And it's just like sitting here for all to see. And like they've sort of washed it with ancient aliens. And like by putting on people who are somewhat of a joke, by bringing on legit researchers and then taking their sound bites to support their bullshit arguments, that's how they fuck shit up. That's that's like how that system works. So I've always been very resistant to sort of giving in to the money, that system, right? Selling out and, you know, sure, you can have your own show and you can tout ancient aliens all day, but if you're at the same time, like the whole thing is considered a farce by design, then what good are you actually doing? So, you know, for me, that that sort of revolutionary spirit just kind of perpetuated once once I left Catholicism and I was like, hey, wait a minute, religion's not working. I got, we got to find something else. And then I went and found all the, you know, clues for ancient technology and ancient civilization and, and hidden history. And I was like, whoa, why aren't we talking about this shit? We could be learning so much about our ourselves and our history and who we are spiritually and what we're doing here and more about, you know, the the energy entity spirit that created us, whatever it is, right? Um, and here it is being covered up and hidden and people are being paid to 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 spread bullshit to spread half half truths or misinformation right you told her known about miss laura knight patrick uh yeah i think i've i've told her known about laura Secret knight history of the before. world yeah i'm pretty sure i've recommended that she's him. great I probably like i may have seen it uh, i've seen so much shit delve about. into that rabbit hole she's my favorite remember. historian she's nice. like yeah. but, and i'm i'm like i sort of like think that she's the smartest woman on the planet right now <laughs> she is that, smart that she nobody was... pays attention to that, that well she, she, she usually doesn't she doesn't want that attention she right. stays very i don't blame her no nobody wants this attention like look look how long it took me to get on your show because like it's hard because you you want to do look i i fight my little battles on facebook and you know all that shit and people don't really argue with me much anymore because i, I have receipts i have evidence that show paper trails like it's hard for people to argue with me um but i also see like there are people that are struggling that don't necessarily have that rhetoric ability where you know you can get riled and you they can fucking get you to say one thing that destroys your credibility right so i've fought very hard to kind of maintain that sort of scholarly approach to anytime i'm gonna debate someone and you know nine times out of ten it devolves from a real debate into just like oh well fuck you (laughs) you know (laughs) and then you're just like Hey, fuck I, you. Thought, I thought we were trying to get to debate until we figured out the truth i've presented all this evidence and now you're you have nothing to stand on so you're just going to try and find you know you make a resort to ad hominem attacks right yeah yep. that's well, so common on twitter well, social media is just everywhere not really the best place to have a lot of these deep it's comments. not it's not but at the same time it is because you have to remember there are people that are watching and there are people yeah. that you know are on the verge of, of waking up to reality and understanding what the fuck is going on around here and if if them watching you know my debates sometimes will help them then that's your for me i feel like i'm doing part of my duty and again uh, I agree. It's it's why we you know post so much and 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 share the information we do online the way we do. But I do think 
I do think this is like a better way to have these conversations and they're more human when you when you're not seeing the person you talk to when you're just I agree the screen you know it's so much easier for the discussion to devolve in that yeah, way so much, yeah. because everyone's dehumanized right you're yeah. not really talking to anybody and I've thought about you know challenging people to debates on video and stuff before but then at the same time it's like my priorities are also a little different you know I'm, I'm thinking about my kids I'm thinking about like um what I need to be doing to make sure that they have a future here. Well, so. I think storytelling is gonna is the way you're going to do it best. So I don't think there's anything. Well, thank wrong. you. I hope so. Yeah. That's the goal here. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with prioritizing it in that way, or at least changing up your strategy in in a way where it's like, well, maybe I'm not gonna spend as much time arguing and debating yeah. about these subjects anymore. I'm going to just make my stories and I'll put these themes in my stories and hopefully those stories get out there and people will think about those themes. Well, speaking of stories, yeah, yeah. do we want to have, do we want to have Ramon tease some of his IP so that, you know, our viewers can get an idea? Yeah, we, yes, we could definitely chat about that. Before that though, I wanted to ask a little bit about Board Ape Yacht Club or at least talk a bit about it because I feel like we can't like, we can't have the show and not discuss it at all when we have a board ape. Oh, we can totally so. not talk about it. <laughs> Brent's like, oh, you can see, I, I'm, I'm a big flutter when it comes to He's the, the apes. But don't mind. I, I don't blame you. Look, it's a very, just like anything. So what is, board, what is board ape yacht club? If someone asked you that, how the hell would you explain I guess we this? Should start there, should I mean, look, here's the thing. Like, it, it, it has evolved over the last like nine months, right? So this is an NFT project that launched in May. Um, founders are anonymous. Um, as most NFT projects are, I'd say there's very, there's a few out of the hundreds that I've seen where you actually know who is running the project. So when we've done projects, I've been fully doxxed because I don't, I'm all about transparency and I'm all about just like, uh, uh, walking my talk. So that's my deal. Um, but a lot of other projects, you know, for various reasons, who knows, whatever, they're anonymous. Um, but the big, the big draw for me was this was like the first project that I had seen when I was trying to get into NFTs. And I had only bought, I think, one NFT before that, maybe, maybe two. I'm pretty sure it was one. Anyway, um, so when I got, when I found that project, uh, I realized that they were giving out the, um, commercial license for the intellectual property. So if you buy the little profile picture of your ape, there's 10,000 individual unique ones that have been kind of put through a software to generate a character from all these traits. So mouths, eyes, you know, hair, uh, clothes. Yeah, so basically <laughs> it's like there's a computer program, all the traits of the characters are hand-drawn by the artists. They're Correct. into the program, and then when the person buys or mints the NFT, it spits out 10,000 of these. That's right. Well, probably traits. more, and then you just, like, choose the, however big your collection is going to be. And, and the traits rearrange themselves in a randomized way so that even, even the developers don't know how each of the characters are going to come out in the end. Right. Unless you're like going through each individual one, which is, we tried it with our project and it was really impractical. Yeah. So we just had to like think ahead to like what combinations could be problematic and what's not, you know, or let's type in a yeah. code. So but I, I think 
I think that's actually one of the aspects of this that fascinated me the most as an artist, because I feel like it's the most yeah. unique thing about NFTs that hasn't been done before, yeah. <clears throat> or at least one of the most unique things. It's not a it's way we've made to NFTs. Yeah. yeah, it's not a way that we've made art before. So to so see besides video games, no. Yeah, but what I mean is like to see the human touch of like doing something deliberate mixed in with the random algorithmic computer to just spit something out is fascinating to me because yeah. it's just it's never been done i've never seen this sort of thing before and i think you know one of the things that made the board api club special aside from this is the fact that they're kind of like a club and maybe talk a bit about that is i think that's why they've been revolutionary they they're not just an nft tea project it's like it's it's a group it's it's a club it's a brand community it's a community well, yeah, it's, yeah. they brand with like smaller brands that develop under it yeah and i mean again i think it's a timing thing too that has a lot to do with it because again it was the first project that i was aware of that gave out the full commercial ip rights with no cap so you know that alone is a draw for a content creator like myself who that's what I do is deal in intellectual property and IP and stories and creating characters and turning them into shit, right? Trying to get that sold um, or distributed. So that was the big draw for me. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, dope, I'm in. How much is this thing? Oh shit, it's like a thousand bucks. That's a lot. Uh, <laughs> all right, it's worth it. And I, I, I justified it that way. I was like, would I pay to license, um, you know, another project that has a built-in community of, you know, roughly 6,000, I think at the time it was like 5,000 people um, who are ravenous consumers of content around this project. And that was, that was really what it was. Um, but it's, it's not exclusive to Board API Club. Like it is community. It's, this is sort of a product of just NFT drops. These 10,000, you know, avatar uh, collections just naturally because so many people are buying in, a community forms around that. But what determines how far it goes and whether it's big or not is the devs. It's the people who are running the show. So despite the fact that they were anonymous, they were still delivering massive value. They were, you know, they gave us free dogs. They gave us free serum. They gave us, you know, the ability to mint mutants for free. I mean, that's all, a the, lot all the non NFT people watching this right now are like, I have no fucking idea what the hell he is talking I about. Know, they they gave you a dog? They gave you a dog? <laughs> what do you mean, bro? What do you mean they yeah, gave they, you a dog? They did the same thing with their, you know, companions or their other, you know, creatures, right? Yeah. They did the same thing. They took all the traits, they threw them into the software. And then if you had a board ape, you were able to get the dog for free. You were able to get the mutant for free. Um, so that's just become kind of the norm or the standard with NFT projects. I mean, again, they, they just kind of led the way. I think it's more of a matter of timing and the commitment of the developers and also the people who bought into that community early on. Yeah. So a lot of those people had already been in crypto or were already influencers or kind of like, you know, they were just able to drive the community and the movement over time. And then now we're at the point where, you know, the value is so high. You have fucking Justin Bieber. And yeah. yeah, I was going to mention that too. It's like right. we have all these celebrities and bigger names who are starting to sorry, get into this. And it's not surprising. I think, you know, when Hollywood starts to see that something new is coming about and like they're, no, no, no. It's they're the losing money. relevance. It's the, money. it's the money. 
that's the money it's yeah money. it's the money but i think it's also relevancy i think it's really yeah, cult- cultural this is cultural yeah. zeitgeist it's being at the like you know cutting edge of yes. what's hot right and then it switches nfts and then this is like one of the most expensive nfts that allows you again to exploit the image of your yes. age and you so can flex is- it online you know that's the thing too is like you know people flex these things online as like status symbols now which is fascinating but you know just because it goes against everything that like i used to talk about like i i fucking hate labels i don't fucking you know like it's so funny how it works yeah the the, the realism is not cute but thankfully you know a lot of uh, quite a few at least you know ones like you and people i know who are in the club aren't like that you know i know quite a few we got in early right so yeah. now what's gonna what what is happening i think now is people are looking at board apes and they're seeing like who recently bought in and they're like blanket judging the whole thing based on that which is understandable i get it if you never heard about it before and then you find out oh justin bieber bought one and, yeah didn't eminem recently get Eminem? what i loved so much about the m&m one though was that the i I love that the nft community figured out that he bought the ape before it was even officially announced that he had it and before he always do yeah that the guy who owned that called it yeah like months ago he's like this he was like this is the ape for m&m he needs to He's like, yeah. he's going to buy this. And then months later, he bought it. Yeah. But So, I mean, well, just, just that to brings sum up. A good point. That, that yeah. brings up a good point. I'm glad you said that. Because that is what I see as the net positive of being on the blockchain. Okay. And what I mean by that is you can sleuth. You can find out where money is going. You can watch these very public transactions. And you know if someone's doing shady shit or not. Right. You can't hide that. So I fucking love that. So what, would you say to, what would you say to the people, though, who, who think, you know, there's a negative aspect to that, that, you know, say when money goes all digital, you're not going to be able to hide anything ever, you know? Yeah, that's the danger. Yeah. That's the danger. But, and, you me, know, the flip side of that, too, is like also the evil elites in power also can't. That's what I'm saying. That Look, it's a, it's a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. We can either stay in the situation that we're in, <clears throat> where you've got insider stock trading in Congress, you've got people in the Fed trading stocks before public, like this shit is real and this shit is happening right now. And this shit is the people who are fucking legislating. Okay, so for anyone whose argument is, oh, well, you know, there's so much fucking criminality. I'm like, there's criminality happening right now that you don't even fucking know about and they like it that way. They do not want to move to Ethereum or a blockchain where we can watch yeah. where Nancy Pelosi is putting her money. They need where, to be able Or where to Mitch McConnell's putting his money yep. or whatever, right? They it's need not to be able to control it. They need to be able to control it. And I think, you know, until they can figure that out, yeah, I think they're going to try to regulate it and push back against it. But just to sum up a bit on the Board Ape Yacht Club, because I'm really trying to get this concept home to people who are listening, you know. So if you own one of these pictures, it's kind of like, all right, so you own a piece of art. That's one. Yeah. Two, you you own a character whose IP you can now use in any way you want. You can make well. It's up to you to create that character, sure. right? So yeah. one of the first things I did when I was looking at you know the cheapest ones, and I was like, okay, I need to get one. Which one am I going to get? Um, is I was looking at, the, at what's called the floor, which is the you know the ones that are the yeah. cheapest for the sale. Lowest. And again, for for me, it was 0.45 ETH, so that was like a thousand bucks. And I was like, all right, 
are we doing this or are we doing it? So I was like, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to pick one that I can develop a character out of. I've got to have something that I can do to make that money back. If I can pick this one, pay a thousand bucks, and I know I can get that thousand bucks by, you know, making a comic or a art or whatever, then it's worth it. So uh, I naturally just saw a cool stunt jacket with 3D glasses and a hat. And I was like, oh, I think I could do something with that. I'll, American yeah. Ape. I see. The American, American Ape. The American Ape was born. And so, so yeah, that was that's an your character. So you get the picture, you own the piece of art, and you have the character, and you make a character of that. But it's also like, it's kind of like owning a share or a stock. I know it's not a stock, right. but having it is sort of like that. It's like saying, I believe in this big brand. It's I mean, because look, it's real money, right? So it's an, it's an investment. And so everyone who bought in sort of sees it as, uh, as an investment. It's tricky because, you know, it's not like you're selling it. And, I mean, you can, you absolutely can. And, and a lot of people recently have, who are like, you know, OG collectors and holders who paid less than a thousand bucks have been able to flip it for fucking hundred and hundred plus ETH, right? That's life-changing money yeah. for someone who could only afford 300 bucks at the time, right? And so there's that. But for other people like me, it's like, we just want to hold this and develop this character and build out a world. And um, so you're, you're in it for like the long term. Correct. It's, it's, again, it's like a stock. It's like saying, I'm holding this because I believe in the future of this company. Right. I have conviction in where it can go. Yeah. The other <laughs> aspect of it, though, that I want to talk about is that it's also it's it's a membership card, and there's something yeah. that in you in NFTs that we call utility. And you know, when I explain NFTs to people, I try to explain to them that it's it's all about the contract. It's like, yeah, you can copy that picture from my my profile and put it on your profile, but right. if you can't have that code that verifies you own it, you don't get access to all these perks that I yeah. have access to as being a member. And it's yeah it's the utility right so ultimately i think people buy people who are buying and some buying nfts right now are looking at it from several perspectives this technology is new and it's not going anywhere right so this is the, the kind of birthing stage of nfts so all of these collections that we see right now if they're they're devs they're founders or project leaders are faithful in their duty to continue delivering whatever they promise, whether it's, you know, like me, comics and animation and video games and that stuff based on these, um, then they will not only last, but they'll have historical value. So just like a comic book or just like a trading card or, you know, baseball card or a stamp or a coin, there's historical value because it's on the blockchain. It's not going anywhere ever. Yeah. It's never going to just disappear. That's why the crypto punks are so expensive and famous is because they were, they were like the first profile picture type project that had like a limited number on the collection. They weren't the first, obviously, but they were the first of that type. Yeah, that caliber, I think, you know, they just kind of took off and became a status symbol in a lot of ways. Yeah. And again, a lot of that has to do with like who's in the community, who was involved at that time. And a lot of those people who were in that space were already in crypto. So they already had <laughs> exited from ICOs or whatever. Was like. person. There we go. All right, sorry guys, interrupt it. Doorbell, dog barking. Ramon had to use the bathroom, but yeah, we're back. So yeah, we were talking about um, <clears throat> utility basically and what gives an NFT 
NFT value, you know, and I was talking about this idea that it's a membership card. So we're in the gutter cat gang, Brent and I, um, and I remember you talked about when you bought your first board ape, you paid what 0.4 Ethereum. Yeah, 0.4, 5, yeah. And at the time it was like, wow, this is like a thousand bucks. Like, Oh my God. It's a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of money. Like, and, you know, paycheck to paycheck or, so in July, you know, I get involved in NFTs. You kind of push me in this direction. And, you know, I'm looking at the gutter cat gang and I'm watching the floor go up. And, you know, I knew you were working with them and all this stuff. And I'm just like, crap, should I buy one of these? Should I drop $2,600? And to me at the time, that was like so much money. Should I drop $2,600 on a freaking cartoon drawing of a cat? How am I going to explain this to my friends and family? Like... I don't know. So I went to Ramon. I'm like, Ramon, should I do this? <laughs> and you were like, this is not financial advice, but do it. <laughs> and man, am I glad that I did and convinced Brent to do the same as well. Because even when the bear market hit and everything was going down and all the floors were tanking, my investment in gutter cat gang still held up about four times what I initially paid yep. into it which really shows the conviction that some of these projects have with the people who are involved with them. You know, they really believe that's in exactly, that. That's exactly it. it look, this is Wait. the cool thing about that whole model is that, you know, you have these project founders, sure, and they drive the ship to some degree in terms of what value they're providing the token holders. But at the end of the day, the token holders, people who own these individual NFTs decide the fate of the project because if they decide fuck this, we're selling all at once. It's just like a stock, yeah. it'll fucking tank, right? So, you know, the, the cool thing about what this, you know, whole space has brought into, at least into my life is I've been able to connect with people all over the fucking world who understand crypto to some degree, who understand the problems with the central bank, who understand, you know, the, the censorship and all this other stuff that's very real that we're not allowed to talk about in our you know respective countries because it's happening everywhere right um and so we, i just like found a stronger global family through the nft world it's fucking so cool it's so crazy um, it's it's a sub, it's a subculture you know one of the things that's often talked about in the nft space or community is a blue chip you know what makes a nft project a blue chip project and one of the ways i define that you know, when I talk about this online is to me, a blue chip project is something that is building a subculture ultimately. And that's what it is. Cause like you said, it's the people involved who make it what it is. They have to believe in it. And by believing in it, they want to help build upon it. So they're going to make their sub brands. They're going to make fan art. They're going to make t-shirts. They're going to, you know, start their own comic or their own show based off of the gutter cat gang or based off of board of club. And the more it becomes a subculture, you know, people want to collect the merch. They want to collect derivatives and like maybe they want fan art of their ape or someone else's whatever it, by building a subculture it becomes a movement and i think those projects that have established themselves in that way those are the blue chips those are the ones i think that are going to carry on you know whereas gary v talks about the stuff he says 98 percent of these projects they're gonna they're gonna flop they're gonna go to zero and that is the harsh reality of this. And I yeah. think that's why a lot of things are really moving so quickly right now is because people are, they're trying to, they're scrambling. They're trying to figure out what is the next board ape yacht club? Cause they're like, well, that one's already taken off. It's already established itself as a blue chip. And 
you know, the market is kind of, I think, regulating itself now. And it is a little bit. When I got in, when I got into this in July, when you first got me in, there was definitely more just minting, minting, minting without thought. You know, people were just buying and minting anything they could mint because they're they're just trying to chase that next pump. It's a lot because it's because yeah. for some people it's like a fucking slot machine. It's, yes, it's like a lottery. That, that is yeah. not that has never been my approach yeah. to, to crypto. Period. Like you know, I, and I I joke. I wouldn't call myself a Bitcoin maxi, right? I'm not like uh, fucking militant about it. But again, there's Bitcoin and there's fucking everything else right now. If we're being 100% honest about the tech, the, the initial sort of idea behind it, all that stuff, right? So, so for me, I saw this, you know, NFT thing as my freedom as an artist, first and foremost. This wasn't a money play uh like yes that's a big part of it because we're talking about crypto and we obviously are all fucking struggling especially right now uh to find financial freedom right whatever that looks like for each individual um i've always kind of you know read books on that and studied people who again talk about how those things are not addressed in our education system or any of that right they don't want us becoming financially independent they want us to become dependent on the system Right. So when this came along, I saw it as a twofold thing. Number one, I can use this to create financial freedom with crypto because it is crypto. But the, on the other hand, I can do what I want to do as an artist and I don't have to, um, you know, tie myself in a ribbon and tie all my projects in a ribbon and take it to Netflix and say, please, sir, will you buy my show? Or will you buy my show? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't, we don't, we as artists don't have to do that anymore. And that's what NFTs are allowing. And that I think is why the powers that be don't want it to, to blow up right now. They're like, that, do everything they can to like put it back in the box because too many people are becoming financially free. Like yeah. too many people, like a that, lot. That was too many people that were broke as fuck. They got a board ape or two or 10 or whatever. Now they're multimillionaires. Yeah. And like that changes the game because now they don't have to worry about, uh, you know, finding food and shelter. Now they can worry about how do we fucking change the system? Yeah. Well, it cuts out that, that middleman. Like you said, you don't got to go to Netflix. You don't got to go to the big, you know, companies to, to manifest your project. You can crowdfund it. And you, you were doing this before, you even got into NFTs, you know, you've crowdfunded multiple successful projects using Kickstarter. And, you know, that was, you know, my first support for you was donating to your Kickstarter campaigns before NFTs were even a thing, but I love that NFTs does cut out that middleman. And it really gives the artist a chance to represent themselves and to advocate for themselves. And the, the only challenge I see right now with that is that, People, and, and we know this just from the last two years, people still need their influencers to make their decisions. It's yeah. kind of crazy, right? But if you don't have the support of like a handful of influencers on your project, it's not going to fucking make $2 million. You, you, might, you might make 300K, you might make 100K, which again is life-changing money. But when you're putting that back into content, it's actually not that much money. So we still you know, from our perspective, we're still kind of bootstrapping and reinvesting all of our money back into building what we're building for our community. I, I know you guys are in it as yeah. well, but it's just, it's a, 
it's it's a paradigm shifting possibility and that's why i'm all in and that's why i'm so bullish on it because back to like the whole point right there are people who are resistant to this idea for many reasons transhumanism ai all that stuff they're very real uh threats to kind of like our our spiritual side um but that's all the more reason why i feel like if we don't participate if we choose to ignore it it can just go do whatever the fuck it wants without us and come back and hit us later yeah so for um, me i agree i'm like i want to be entrenched in this space i want to know who's doing what i want to know what drops uh uh you know grimes is doing i want to know like what kind of content these people are putting out because you know it's, re- it's also revealing like who is who like it's reveal like if more people are on there doing these projects, we can track it all. We know what they're doing with their money. We know, you know, what kind of projects they're deciding to put out into the market, you know? Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm sure your audience is a little more awake. So there's a lot of symbolism and there's a lot of communication going on in that space. And if you're savvy to it, you can see what's going on. <laughs> you can well, tell who's who. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, true. you know, like you're speaking on these big projects, but I think even for just individual little artists like me, NFTs are are so game changing because. So I, I was watching this video, man. That I, th- I think it was Gary V. He put it up on Instagram, and he was like, you know, imagine. He was trying to explain NFTs. He was like, imagine like you bought a Jackson Pollock painting, and with this painting that you now own, you also get to hang out with Jackson Pollock. And you get uh, to keep one of Jackson Pollock's paint buckets that he used to make the paintings. That's a special utility you get for owning this piece of art here. Now you have one of his paint buckets. Things like that, you know, like, hey, you buy one of my NFTs. Anytime I'm in town, I have a gallery. You get instant access to it. Yes, you get in free, you know, whatever you come that's what we're doing. So it's like, crazy, man. It's like, it's a ticket too. It's a membership card, but it's also like a universal ticket. It's a stock. It's a piece of art. It's all those things rolled into one. It's a contract. It's all of that. I mean, again, it's ultimately up to the project creator to decide yeah. what that is. So for they me, want to focus on, yeah. Yeah. And my approach to the space, it's like, I want to find ways to marry the real world and the physical. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not looking to carve out you know purely digital experience because you know there's so much value yeah. in who it's we big. are as a species right now in our current form and sure if people want to go that route that's fine but for me i'm much more interested in the mysteries of the unknown that we have yet to solve about what the fuck we're doing here in this form so i don't necessarily want to run full speed ahead into uh cybernetics or you know for me the real threat is you know ai is a tool Right. And I know that there's a lot of conversation and discussion about this um, and it, it will, I'm sure, evolve over the next you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, but my biggest concern with the way things are going is I'm more concerned about a tyrannical artificial intelligence that is almost like an extension of the tyrannical system that we currently exist in. Right. So for me, trying to create um, stories and work with the technology in a way that sort of imparts the important things about being human that are, you know, empathy, compassion, you know, understanding, uh, all these different things, like the experience of life, the way it's, the way it naturally organically unfolds, right? There's so much value in all of that. There's so much growth and that's possible in all that. If we sort of can work with the technology to preserve a lot of that, 
in, in the way it's supposed to be. I don't mean like a zoo and I don't mean like a video library, right? And that's the real danger for me is compartmentalizing and then ultimately being able to rewrite history. And that's where the big, that's where the big question comes in. Are we already in the fucking matrix? Is this yeah. already? <laughs> I think have I, they uh, already taken over? And this is just like yeah. I think we are, but we won't get too much into that. I'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit here though sure. and ask, you know, what would you say to the people who criticize crypto and NFTs and say that it is bad for the environment? Because this is a, a common criticism I see often to the people who really hate on this stuff and like yeah not just hate on it, but like they, they view it as like actually like dangerous and they will like viciously attack you on Twitter and call you some really horrible things if you have an NFT. You know, for me, you have to look at any technological revolution from a different lens because if you look at the industrial revolution and how, how that happened, you know, arguably, and, and again, arguably, that had a, a negative impact initially that people were like, oh, what is, what is this technology that we're using? There are conveniences and then there are dangers. There's always going to be that. If we're looking at ultimately what the, the core argument is and that is uses a lot of power, therefore it's like a toll on everything. What they're not thinking about is how inefficient our systems are that this kind of technology could be used and can be used and is being like, developing the, the tools for us to be able to streamline that problem and fix that problem. Like if we can move that money away from the central banks and away from the corrupt system that is currently deciding where these budgets go for climate reform and, you know, all these laws that they're you know, wanting to pass to, to reduce pollution, all that's doing is going into a bunch of people's fucking pockets to, to run data you know, analyze, uh, you know, little, these little projections of how, you know, that's all that's happening right now. What we could be doing with that money, that blockchain allows us to transfer and move outside of that tax system, is we could be building alternatives to make our, our power grids and make our, you know, uh, our, our systems much more efficient. So it's like, I don't know, people don't think about their own carbon footprint either. It's like, you want to criticize that, but what are you driving? What are you, <laughs> your fucking carbon, carbon footprint? Like it's, it comes down to the same principle of like, you know, pull that fucking uh, plank out of your eye before you pull the splinter out of someone else's. Yeah. Right? Agreed. Um, and that's just, I think the nature of lack of information. Most of the people that are criticizing like 99% of the arguments that I've either witnessed or been a part of when it comes to that haven't actually done the research that a lot of times they're regurgitating something that an influencer said. I'm, <laughs> I'm still convinced that most of it is cope. That's my theory. I think a lot of it is, you know, a lot of people, a lot of it is cope. I think seeing people making money off these things or seeing yeah. people's like lives change, change. NFTs, like you said, like people who had nothing minted one or two board apes and all of a sudden you know they're they're wealthy their families are yeah not gonna lie every time i see like a board ape get sold for over 100 ETH, i do feel a little pang of jealousy right in my heart it's i can understand why people look at this you know people who bust their asses who work you know really difficult jobs or who are raising kids and stuff and they're just like man i just worked my ass off all year to make 100 grand and you just you bought a monkey picture and you made, <laughs> no, I you made it. three times that amount 
I get it. And then here's, but here's the thing that they fucking forget, okay? I have been an artist for years. I have been homeless. I have given up relationships. I've sacrificed jobs. I've turned down uh, a lot of really good opportunities because of the dark element of Hollywood. That this I also could have, it could have gone bad for you, man. Minting the apes could have been drastic. It, it could have failed, you know? Totally, 100%. And that's why for me, I've always done calculated bets. You know, I got into cryptocurrency early. I, you know, this, these are all risky things. These are risky propositions for the average person. And like, and if you want to be salty about someone else's success, you're never going to be successful on your own because that kind of energy, you can't put out that hatred and expect uh, God or the universe or whatever divine power you may ascribe to, to reward you for that kind of attitude, right? You don't know their struggles. You don't, sure, if Justin Bieber were to buy an ape and flip it and all of a sudden he made another million dollars or whatever, I get that. that there's a, you have a right to be critical of that. Yeah. But if you think about all the number of people that, again, spent 300 bucks or 200 bucks, yep. and then all of a sudden they can now buy a house, they can pay for their children's medical bills. Like there's so many stories, you know, one family is able to, to actually have, you know, in vitro fertilization so they can have a kid, you know, there's. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, um, oh, so the gay board ape. The, yeah, yeah. The traveling, um, I can't remember their names, but yeah, they're, I don't know. They're, they're cool though. They're cool. They're my, they're my friends on Twitter. I like them, but no, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, despite the fact that a lot of these bigger names are getting involved with this now, it's not acknowledging the fact that for the most part, this was just really everyday normal people who started the board wow. for the most part. And this, they had conviction. They believed in it. And like I said, it could have tanked, you know, like I, I, I put $2,600 into a gutter cat. You, you, you put, you know, well, like a, a grand or something. And for people yeah. like us who never had very much, that's a risky right. thing. That was huge. Like I've never spent we, we like, risk. spending a thousand dollars on any yeah. single thing. Are you crazy? Yeah. Like, unless it's it's like we took the risk. We yeah. risked our own money and we, you know, did the research in the time and we made the decision. And I don't see anything wrong with people benefiting from that. I think it's great that so many normal, everyday people were able to get involved with this and completely transform their lives to gain financial independence. And that was happening before the celebrities even got involved. All the celebrities did was they helped, uh, I guess they helped accelerate, accelerate. They hopped on a bandwagon, you know, yeah. like they, because they, because it was growing thanks to people like, like me and the other people that were actually, um, making content from their board apes. Right. We showed them the potential of what you can do with the board apes. I mean, look, I, Rumor is there's going to be uh, a big Super Bowl appearance. For I heard. So yeah. Like, that's going to be huge for all the ape holders who have been holding since like day one or day five, who like some of us are like, we think this can get to a million dollars in ape and we hope it does because fuck, that's life changing money for my children. Like, I don't have to fucking worry about my kids, you know, growing up poor like I was. Like, that is my big thing. You know, I don't want my kids to have to go through the shit that I went through. So for me, I'm just kind of riding the NFT uh, train, I guess you could say. I bet on certain things that I felt pretty strongly about. You know, I didn't play this thing like a slot machine, really. Um, you know, but everyone to each own. Some people are in it for the money. Some people are in it for other things. If you're thinking like, oh, it's easy money, it's not. It's have to, you have to understand the ecosystem. Yeah. Guys, let me tell you, if you're listening to this right now, <laughs> you think you can get involved in this and just 
make some quick fast money you got another thing coming in you you can get wrecked so be careful you can, you can. don't, don't mm-hmm. spend or invest what you're not you know willing to lose or can't afford to lose because it could go really badly and i have seen it go badly for people also scams you know hacks things like that people who don't understand how easy it is like that your wallet can be compromised oh, there's people that have lost board apes god damn the horror stories uh, the horror stories i've seen you know it's massive. sad it's really sad um but at the same time like these scammers or these you know criminals like it's not like i saw a really great meme going viral and it was like what people think hackers are like and it's like this big dude like give me all your money i got it and but what it really is is like hey, uh, can I have your password? And the person going, yeah, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's ultimately what yeah. a lot of these scams are. It's, people, it's not that people are getting hacked. It's that people are, are getting tricked yes. into giving away sensitive information. So it's like, have your fucking you know, defenses up. No, don't click mysterious links. Don't do it. Don't click, mis- don't click any link from a stranger. Don't click any links. I literally have a special computer, like laptop, that like I don't connect to anything unless I'm like kick- clicking a link that you know. There's no fucking crypto on there. There's nothing like right. You, know, you you have to sort of set up your own you know defenses and be smart. Um, but again, because it's new and because a lot of people just don't know, don't understand, it's very easy to get yeah. tricked and wrecked. Yep. You want to try and find people that you trust, yeah. um, and I don't mean influencers that you've never seen their face like how could you ever trust someone well that, that was something <laughs> face you've ever seen that was something i wanted to touch on a bit too is you know the the very natural organic growth of the myth division community um you know the first nft guest we had on here was dustin johnson he runs a project called bitbones mm. really awesome project um but just much smaller scale like it's basically him doing it by himself but one of the things, you know, I complimented him on is the same compliment I guess I'm going to give you is the fact that he was able to do this and grow it organically. He didn't pay any influencers to DM people or to tweet something out to pump the bags up. And what a lot of folks don't realize is when you do that, it's going to bite you in the ass later. Because if it's not organic, yeah. it's going to tank down as fast as you pumped it. Yeah, it's not going to have any long-term longevity to it because there's no culture. You're not developing a culture. That's right. the organic part. That's right. Yeah, and I mean, look, I had that opportunity. You know, I was at a uh, a party and um, <laughs> literally uh, someone was like, "Hey, oh, you're into NFTs? Look, we're you know we have some questions for you, right?" And they you know, saw what we had done already and we had some experience in the space with drops. And it was a group of like group of lawyers and investment bankers and they were like okay so we want to figure out how do you like pump it how can we like do a project and then we'll all pump it and then i was just like yeah you can sure but i never like i don't want to do that you're literally like fleecing all these people for to pump your bags i'm like i'm not about that so like for me it's just i don't know i'm doing my best to again walk the talk because I'm so sick of being taken advantage of, of seeing people that I know and love being taken advantage of. Like, it's so fucked up. Like how- well, your, your experiences in Hollywood, I'm sure you've <clears throat> seen so much. <laughs> Hollywood is a dark place. So, you know, I've, I've managed to, to, to keep myself out of that stuff. You know, I had some real low points in Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood nearly broke me. I, I like I said, I was homeless. I was living in my car. Um, 
there was, there was a point where like I had no money. I didn't even know where I was getting my next meal from. I was like going to the gas station with a shell card just to like buy hot pockets and ramen noodles and shit that I could heat up there. Cause I didn't know if I could afford more than, you know, a dollar or two for my meals the next day. And in the meantime, I was still like, you know, going to meetings with, you know, about film projects and all this other shit. Nobody knew. Right. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't think anybody should have to live like that, especially as an artist. And that's what this technology does. This technology changes our circumstances. It, well, it enables us to shift our circumstances so that we're not in those situations anymore. So again, it takes research, it takes time. You need to find people you trust, find your community. And once you do, those are the people that will buy your art, right? Those are the people that will spend you know, 200 to $300 for your painting or more, you know, because they like you and they, they want to see you succeed. Right. And so it's like this mutual community of people and we're all just kind of like buying each other's shit, but other people are buying it too. So it's helping to change the lives of so many people that. I think, I think the transparency <clears throat> is a better approach just for that alone. Yeah. Cause I know, I know me personally, like if I'm going to invest in something, like I'm not just investing in, in the thing or the idea, like you said, I'm investing in the person as right. well, you know, and like I mentioned Bitbones before, self-doxed, you know, totally transparent, real guy, real artist building, you know, and it's like, all right, I feel safe putting my money into this. I know who I'm investing in. I can see them. I can talk to them, you know, and I think, I think one of the reasons we're seeing so much, uh, and we've talked about this before, but scams and, and people just getting wrecked and losing their money is they put too much trust in admins and, and people yeah. they don't know at all, you know, maybe just because some influencer posted about the project and they always trust that influencer. So they're like, all right, I'm going to go put my money into that. That's and the thing. A follower. Days later, half their money's gone. So. Yeah, because the number of followers that a person has is not directly cor correlated to their credibility. Yeah. Right. And that's the, the sort of, I don't, I don't know if it's a misconception or even a common one, but it seems like it because people are following these people who are complete scammers and still fucking putting, you know, betting on what they're telling you to bet on. Like it's fucking bananas. They're so. chasing the pump. And I think a lot of them know it's a pump. It's not like they don't know. Yeah, probably right. It's like, oh, they see an influencer post it. They're like, that's going to pump right now. I'm going to go, go try to chase it. Other ones, you know, who just follow the influencer might not get that yet. They might really trust that influencer and then, you know, they come out of it broke. So anyway, let's end, I think, talking a bit yeah, so I'm gonna talk about, about Ramon's projects. Yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, what's Miss Division up to right now? What are the next big things that, that you have coming up? Man, there's a lot. Um, what can you say publicly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna reveal any secrets. I know people are gonna watch this because they're gonna be trying to steal Ramones. I know they're waiting. Like for they're waiting. Alpha, right? That's what they um, so this this one's for you, uh, NFT community. No, um, we are right now. We are in the process of building a virtual city inside of the Sandbox game, um, which is essentially like an NFT uh, based world where you buy the land, the land itself is an NFT and you can build upon it and build your own game. By land, to be clear to our viewers, you mean digital land. Dig digital land, yes. Okay. Um, and so we're, we're building basically a digital city for people to be able to come in, um, you know, experience community in a different way. 
Uh, it's almost like, for me, I see it as an extension of Discord, but in like some kind of digital 3D space where you're 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 seeing apartment buildings you're seeing you know there's going to be a movie theater all kinds of well it's kind of like that that thing meta that you know zuckerberg's doing bro like wow it sounds really similar to that yeah yeah they they totally jumped in on that at the right time um they were are they still rebranding too like what happened to that i guess i feel like i stopped hearing about meta they're uh, they're beta testing right now okay there was, about there was actually some controversy recently because a uh, beta tester, a mother, uh, oh, yeah. said that she had experienced "quote unquote" gang rape inside the uh, Horizon whatever beta version of the Meta world. Wow! Because really? a bunch of avatars sort of crowded her, I guess, and said lewd things to her. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> well, it's just like to me, I'm like, well, first of all, how could you even call that rape? Like, it's just, you had a bad experience in a video game. Like, you can literally like just turn it off. <laughs> just like, turn it off. Like, yeah. Just leave. And I guess maybe she they don't have the blocking software set up so that it was intuitive. So she couldn't figure out how to like block specific users. And so she had this like negative experience and it turned into a New York Post article. And I was just like, what? So weird. <laughs> it just seemed very odd. Like it seemed I mean, like marketing. So what are you going to do, Ramon, to combat digital gang rape? No, I don't, we don't need to. In the division, Sam. We don't need to ask that question. <laughs> No, it's, I mean, look, it's, it's, they're valid points, you know, I know it's all a joke, but again, for me, I have always tried to walk the talk. So in building our community, in giving power within that community, like we're empowering people that we know are not going down that road. So they're not, none of that is acceptable in our community now. So I don't foresee that being acceptable in our community later, right? Um, I was just joking. No, no, I know, I know. But, it, but, it, but it's a legit question. I mean, no, that's a, real, that's a real topic of conversation. I know that there's particularly a lot of conversation about the dangers of the metaverse because, you know, and this is something I know you're passionate about too, is like protecting the children, right? We, we don't want these predators to all of a sudden be flocking behind these anonymous avatars and corrupting our children, right? So I'm, I'm thinking about that. It's a very real um, subject in my head. And I think for us, that's why we're doing this organically. That's why I'm resistant to getting big money in, you know, early and having them potentially have a say in how things are shaped, right? Because the more, it's, it's crazy, the more control we can keep as sovereign individuals, which, which, we're, which we should be, but we're not being treated as such, um, the better for society as a whole, because we can sort of form these tribes and, and, and protect our, um, our kids, our families, all that kind of shit, right? So, you know, it's really just gonna be about setting up an ecosystem where, where it's fun to engage and stories are great, um, but it's just very focused on community and, and good people. And so far we've been successful, but we're pretty small. So I don't know. I, I have low tolerance for, for nonsense. So the second someone starts acting like a buffoon, even on Twitter or whatever, I just fucking block them or, or boot them or whatever. And we have no problem doing that kind of shit. But Probably better that way. Save the energy. It is because a lot of people, some people are just are, they, they just troll to troll, right? So yeah. 
you know, and some so, people are some people are paid trolls. As, they as are, yeah. Some people have uh, have learned over the last couple of years. Yeah, and, Brent and I are convinced there are quite a lot of bots and things like that on Twitter that are paid by the tweet to spread propaganda. Well, we know we know from you know historical examples they had that Russian troll farm, but like China's probably doing it on a scale that we yeah. can only imagine. Or the CIA, or the C. You know, who yeah. knows? You know, it just like it's very easy for a large corporation to have a bunch of their people. Like if they want something to get to, you know, if they want to, you know, they get something trending on Twitter, they could just you know send out a blast. And if they've got you know thousands of employees, it's not that hard for them to artificially you know tinker with the system. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's not even employees anymore. Now it's just algorithms, right? So they will target people and these bots will come up. I mean, I've seen it. It's on YouTube, it's on Twitter. And like, so they will, you know, censor certain people for, you know, posting legit information and they will do nothing about the bots and the pedophiles on these platforms. It's fucking crazy. So fascinating hmm. probably just a coincidence though i'm sure i'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> so aside from the sandbox uh digital world that you are developing a myth division space for you have uh, some comics and stuff coming out too right yes yeah, so we've already released right. comics on the blockchain um based on ape um i mean i produce in my career over 20 comics um, most of them using kickstarter so they're not um they're not out for, for the public. Only two of them are out for the public. That's Menagerie and uh, Alt-Control-Delete, yes. um, which is a play on Control-Alt-Delete. I know it comes up a lot. Um, so those made it to stores internationally. Um, I believe the next issues are coming out possibly next month. Um, but besides that, you know, we're sitting on a lot of this intellectual property that we're now moving into film and television simultaneously while we're doing all the NFT stuff. So we are just building, man. We're just in like building mode and we have a lot of really cool um, content coming up. We take a like shared universe approach. So like the whole point is to, uh, you know, really tell stories that are interwoven. I mean, kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a lot of ways. Now, we were talking about this before Marvel knocked it out of the park uh, in terms of like how to do that, connecting films to comics to animation and all that stuff. But that's our model and that's our, been our mo my model at least for 10 years. And so I brought on um, two partners that are um, just so well seasoned in Hollywood. They've been working in the industry at the highest levels for like 20 years. So yeah, my partner, Nicole, she's worked with people like Brian Grazer and Jennifer Lopez and those people at, at you know, like I said, the highest levels, right? Um, so she's she's seen a lot and she's been really like motivated to break outside of that system as well as a producer. And so my other partner was the head of development for the Resident Evil franchise and it's Silent Hill. So like we have come together just sort of to to do things outside of the system that normally would shut down, you know, whatever we're doing. For, for various reasons, whether it's they have a project that's similar or, you know, whatever. There's, there's lots of reasons why projects don't move forward. So NFTs have allowed us to just kind of kick it directly to the audience. And hopefully, you know, we've been able to leverage what our success in the NFT space to get some real traction, you know, back in Hollywood with a lot of our relationships. Um, so we're just doing that. We're just kind of, you know, building. I'm sure there are people crawling out of the woodwork who... <laughs> formally formerly shut the door in your face that now all of a sudden want to work with you 
This is true. Yes. So that's uh, probably a little satisfying. I'm not. Well, during all the the craziness of the last two years and the lockdowns and everything, I have been very vocal in how I feel about it because I kind of seen the writing on the wall for a while. Same. Um, And so, yeah, a lot of people, especially in Hollywood, because Hollywood's very liberal, and like I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a conservative. Like I'm not, you know. I've always kind of leaned independent and Brent and I are the same, you know, we libertarian, I guess we're yeah. conservative with some things and very liberal and other things. It's like we yeah. have conservative and liberal tendencies and yeah. different ways, you know, but we don't, exactly. we're very independent. We don't exactly fit neatly into any party never have. So, and you know me, I never will. <laughs> no, I know it's, you can't put people in a box like that, especially when the two check marks are awful, awful choices. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one one I think is definitely more awful, clearly, right now. But currently, there's definitely. Currently, but I don't know. Bush era. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, both sides have their problems. You know, there are people on both sides of the aisle that need to be removed from their position of power. I will, I will put it that way. Um, their time is long overdue, and it's time to go away because we don't. Have <laughs> so, go away. so you know, that's like you know, been the big thing for me is just kind of um, trying to stay grounded, trying to keep in the middle ground. And so anyway, I, you know, Hollywood being as liberal as it is just by nature of like who we're all working with and the various lifestyles of people that participate in that industry. Um, so yeah, you know, I've said some things that have like made people cancel me, you know, personally or professionally. Um, but like the way, look, I fucking, like I said, there was a time when I was homeless. Like no one can take anything away from me that I haven't already lost like two or three times probably before. Yeah. Right? And no one can um, tell you who you are and what you've been through to get where you are, you know? Yeah, you know. yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, I have a really unique kind of, you know, life experience that has allowed me to see different things and different experience, different subcultures. So, you know, I don't discriminate against anyone regardless of who the fuck they are, unless they're a dick. And if you're yeah. a dick, yeah, yeah. And, and dicks can come, dicks can come from all over the place. Yeah, exactly. ones, straight ones, black ones, Asian ones, white, lots of dicks. Just dicks yeah. If you're if you're just a plain old jerk, like if you can't have intelligent conversations about things and you can't, you know, agree to disagree on certain things, then like, I don't know, you need help. <laughs> Um, and do you want to tell us about the waifus? Oh yeah, let's let's end on the waifu warriors. Yeah, so so that was our um, that was our big generative project where we basically similar to the board apes. Um, you know, Nicole and I had talked about it quite a bit, and there was a big gap in the space for women at the time. There really were no you know female avatar projects when we started it. Um, by the time we launched, there were like two i think yeah like world uh, women and probably fame lady squad i think um yes fame lady squad i think was first um and world of women which yeah and then world of women came out truly around there um but uh but anyway we're just really excited about it because we have this amazing showrunner she's done some cool shit i can't say what she's done yet but we're working on an animated series um we're working on uh, a, a manga comic book um for it and it's really just all about female empowerment you know it's, it's all about warriors so the whole premise is uh, well i won't give away the premise yet because the tough chicks the alpha will 
the alpha lounge may, may want to hear it first. Oh, yeah. but, um, well, I don't, I don't know if they're going to want to be caught dead watching our show, but <laughs> I don't know if, if they know you're on here, they might peek in just to get the alpha. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, the cool thing about that city that we're building that, that I was mentioning initially is like, that is a way for our communities to converge. So that city that we're building, the digital city, is going to have community spaces. We're gonna have, you know, uh, musicians come and perform. Uh, we're gonna do live streams. We're gonna wow. um, have competitions. It's gamified. So there's gonna be games in there, puzzles. You're gonna be able to talk to the NPCs in there, right? We, there's a retail component to it where we have partnerships with um, actual brands that wanna sell stuff. So you'll be able to buy their NFT. And like you were saying, Daniel, you'll be able to like, buy a physical object by buying the nft so like there's all kinds of different sort of um industries combining into the space and that's a cool that, thing that, that's the thing it. that's the thing about nfts that i think people who don't understand it yet really need to grasp is that nfts are an economy forming around crypto yeah. that's what it is you know, because before nfts people were just trading crypto for more crypto or buying and selling it to make fiat yeah, there was no way to use crypto to then purchase something and NFTs then made that possible. You buy the NFT and say you could burn it and get something for it, right? Or just having the NFT gives you access to then buy something. Like, for example, I'm wearing these gutter cat sweatpants. Oh, nice. There wasn't a specific NFT for the sweatpants, but owning the gutter cat NFTs gave me access to be able to purchase the sweatpants Whereas yeah i mean the, the best way to look them would not be able to purchase the sweatpants so it's Correct. it's really it's it's like having a walker's golden ticket that yeah. has reward bucks that you can then spend in the store or world i mean look just like you know like Fortnite, for example right i mean i've never played it but i know that it has a model where you pay for a season pass and that's real money you can pay for you know a new skin new shirt new hair all that stuff it's essentially that kind of economy system, but over a cryptocurrency, you know, over a blockchain, right? Yeah. Whether it's Ethereum or Polygon or, or whatever it is, right? I'm, I'm actually so, surprised more gaming industries have not gotten involved in NFTs yet. A lot of them are, are look, there are, <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with, number one, it's very hard to make a fucking video game to begin with. So the fact that you have all these projects uh, pretending that they are going to make a play to earn game or whatever, like they don't realize, I think, how fucking hard it is to create an entire economy system that is scalable. Sure, you can, you can pump out a model where a couple hundred people, a couple thousand people are able to make money, but after a certain point, that can become very Ponzi-like or very pyramid-like, right? So the trick is, and this is why our approach has been very slow and steady, is like, we're watching what other people are doing, we're looking for those pitfalls, looking for those mistakes, and then once we feel, you know, well enough equipped, we have people on standby to help us, like, really legitimately build this thing out uh, with the the DAO, the tokenomics and all that. But so for gonna, now, are you going to drop a token? Are we going to have a myth token? We probably will, but I won't, I, I don't know when, right? And I'm not going to promise it yet because I don't like making promises I can't keep, right? Drop me all it's the myth tokens, come on. I know, I know. No, I want that, you know, yeah. ultimately I do, I want to create, um, you know, the name of the city is Orangorok. It's kind of like a play on the orange DAO, which is a big, um, you know, part of the, 
the NFT space and uh, orangutan, right? Which is like play on the apes. So I want to have an orangutan DAO where a percentage of that is going into a fund and that can then finance artwork, collabs, you know, things for the community, the people who are members of that community. So that's one of the biggest, like, I'd say undertakings uh, when it comes to this project. Yeah. Um, and it's taken a lot of research and a lot of conversations with people, um, but we're almost there. We're, we're pretty close to figuring out at least how we would tackle it. I mean, I really ultimately am here because I want to change the way business is done. I want to offer an alternative model to the way Hollywood operates, where typically, you know, if you're the writer, you create something, you might walk away with 1% or 2% of the profits long-term and everybody the fuck else gets it, but you created that. Like, how does that make sense? Yeah, right? so, it's about going around the gatekeepers, I think is what what is the true power in this tech and- I'm not even going around them, but just building a new thing. Yeah. Without building them. an alternative, yeah. building an alternative yeah. to those gatekeepers. So um, I guess the last thing I'll ask about before we wrap this up, cause we're, we're nearing what, like 140, something like that. Probably. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, about a DAO, you know, and I'm sure a lot of our, our viewers might not know what that is yet. You know, explain a DAO. What is a DAO? <laughs> I know what it is, but explain it to someone who might not know what it is. I mean, essentially what it is at its core is it empowers the community to be able to make decisions together, right? So if you have the token, it's, you know, essentially a digital asset. It's a, it's a governance token or provenance token that allows you the power to vote on the direction of the project. So it's like shares, like shares in a company sort of. Yeah, you, you can essentially get assigned shares where you're, taking some kind of revenue. And this is why it's tricky because, you know, there's a lot of um, regulation that hasn't been done that is going to, like they're trying to wrap the White House and everybody, like, I don't know if you heard, but um, the, the Biden administration is issuing an executive order for them to start looking into it, right? Yeah. So they don't know, they don't understand it either, but it's, it's essentially an alternative to the way things are done right now. Right now, you know, any system that we're in, we're kind of just in it because it, it is the system that existed before we were born or it's a system before we got into it, right? So this is offering just alternative ways to grow community, have a say as a voter in the community and also have the opportunity to profit from whatever the community is doing, right? So if the community votes and they say, hey, well, we wanna, we vote, we wanna make a comic book, great. We vote, this is the story, great we vote that this publisher, you know, gets it, right? And what I mean is like, you'll give them options. So it's like, well, DAO, it's, it stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Yes, yes, I should have said that first. So <laughs> basically it's like, it's like being part of a company, but like no one person directs it or owns it. In, in theory, sense. there's yeah. no chairman of the board. It's decentralized. There's, there's, it's in theory, yes, because a in lot of not a lot of, it's a little bit more blurry. It depends on how many tokens there are and who owns the majority of those tokens. So the problem right now with a lot of DAOs is they're skewed. You have these DAOs where like maybe VCs own, you know, 15, 20% or uh, the founders own, you know, the, the majority, you know, share. So it's tough. It's still so new and we haven't seen any like, long-term case studies on how it will work but it's very promising and i think that, that it's something really worth considering too is like you know when you invest into a project or collect one to kind of consider like what percentage of this is being held by someone 
you know, and the fact that they, you know, say someone holds like 50% or even 25% of a project and you don't know that and you, it's really high and you go and you buy in that, that one person can dump and dump and totally, you know, wreck your investment. And I think it was, a uh, Daniel got hits. He was the one who was posting about this on his Twitter. And I just, I thought it was a really, a really apt point, like something that we probably would not have been considering or thinking about before NFTs, but now. No, and, and, yeah. and if you're not in finance, you don't think about that. I yeah. mean, people who were, you know, betting on the, the ICO craze, you know, a few years ago, right? The initial coin offerings of like, oh, we've got a new token. It's the same idea, right? You have to do your research. You have to figure out. And some of those people, some of those scammers who, you know, dumped all their coins after everybody bought in, just moved into NFTs. So they're still there and there's still that very real possibility. That's why I'm saying like, and, and it's such a common thing that everyone says, but do your own research. Do it seems very really simple, but you really do. And if you don't know how to do your own research, look for the doxed people in the space who yeah. are posting about it. Right? Find someone to ask, you know, that you trust. And there are definitely plenty of people in the NFT space who are willing to be helpful and to answer people's questions and, you know, despite all of the scams and, and that sort of thing, honestly, like it really is an awesome community. It's, it's pretty crazy to be a part of something like it, you know, and it's hard to describe to people who are outside of it, what it's like, you know, and it's very hard. when you're inside of it, it, it's, it's just weird. You know, like I've had people, I don't even know what they look like. Yeah, um, they're just like a monkey picture, like support me and like buy my art and shit. And like, like realistically support me in a very financially real way. And it's like, I don't even know what you look like. You know, I don't even know your real name. So there's something to and be- you may, And you may never find those things. And I, and I may not know, you know, but there's definitely, there's definitely something to be said about that. I think the reason it excites me and has excited me is because, it, you know, crypto already is, is kind of a, it's like a cutting edge space to be in already. So everyone, uh, at least until recently with all the celebrities jumping in and the people they brought with them, like new people who just don't know, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. But a year ago, it was just a very different space because there was only a, a handful of people in there and they, a lot of them understood these basic sort of benefits of crypto, of, you know, being off of that centralized bank system. And so the conversations and the relationships that has opened up, um, I mean, they're unparalleled for me. Um, I think they're the most valuable aspect about this, in my opinion, you know, because even if this all like crashed tomorrow and it all went to zero, it's like those relationships will last. You know, right, because you have a community of people. Yep. Yeah. You have a community of people that we genuinely all do want to see each other succeed. There's bad seeds here and there. Right. There's bullshitters and scammers, but we look out for each other. Like, you know, one of the... When we were building our community, I remember um, just a funny story. Like we were, we were onboarding new people. We didn't know who was who. I had to watch out for scammers. We had to make sure no one was DMing people and shit like that, right? And uh, I remember somebody was like, oh man, you know, I don't remember how they lost their NFT or they fucked up and lost gas or something. And somebody new in the room was like, oh, well, I have one. I'll, I'll send it to you. Like I'll give you the NFT. They had just bought, I guess, one of, one of our mid-division NFTs. 
And I was like, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, no DMing. Like, we don't know you. Don't be pretending to give people free shit, you know? And I, like, booted him prematurely. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. And then... He uh, was actually nice. He actually... He was actually, yeah. like, giving them a free NFT. Yeah. And trying to give them a good experience. And so I, like, chased him down afterwards and was like, shit, sorry, dude. Come on in. You know, here, let me give you a free NFT. Yeah. Just because you were such a good Samaritan. Yeah, and so, like he's one of our most loyal like uh he's a mod now he's a moderator in our uh discord but you know these kinds of things like i don't know you have, you have bonds and relationships with people yeah all over the world and you don't even like never even spoken to them you know? i feel a lot a lot of people outside of nfts or people who hate on this they don't they don't understand just how serious people are about this yeah. they think oh you know people are in there just playing their luck and trying to gamble and win money and sure like we said there are those people yeah but for the most part when you're in the community you talk to people in it and they're serious you realize yeah. these people are very serious about this they like it they enjoy yeah. it they're yeah. going to keep doing it yeah. and so when you try when you try to explain that to someone who hates on it it's just they don't get it you know they they just don't understand. I think it, it might take a while and some people might never understand and it'll get to a point where they're going to be kicking themselves. Like, Yeah, they'll just, they'll just come in late when it's ubiquitous to life and yeah. they have no choice, right? Because that's coming. And that's why for it's me, like, so I would much really, rather be there shaping it yeah. than, than have it shape my life. It's like, like social media. It's just like social media, just like the internet. You know, It's why so many people in the space look at Gary Vee and respect him. You know, aside from him just being upfront and being honest, they look at his investment history and they're like, well, I don't know if I want to bet against that guy because he was saying this about the dot-com boom and everyone was like, that's, that's just a fad and look what happened. He was saying this about Twitter and, and Instagram and Facebook and social media platforms. Oh, that's a fad. It's dumb. It's, it's going to go away. And now look where we are. It's completely integrated into our, our society. So to look at NFTs and to not at least consider the possibility that this could be something like that yeah. is naive. So. It's very naive. It is, for sure. Um, but, you know, to each their own. And yeah. they'll, they'll catch on when they catch on. And, and some people will kick themselves when they realize some of us were trying to help them, you know, come on board. I, I've reached out to tons of people like, Hey, get in here. You could be financially free by this time, two years from now. I'm not telling people they can be rich in like two months. Cause for me, that was a fluke. I bet on some awesome things and it worked out, but I'm still in the space. I'm, I, I could have cashed out and fucking gone and retired, but I feel compelled to make an impact in the space and redefine how these fucking corrupt deals are done. I, I'm like, I, I want to do something. I want to leave a legacy that uh, hopefully will live on after me where it sets a new standard for how to do things. And who knows if that'll be the case, but if I can impact a few people's lives, you know, it sounds fucking cliche and cheesy, but you know, if you can Dude, save a few people, right. It makes it, your existence. It's not cliche or cheesy. <laughs> oh, I mean, you, you really are. You really are. Brett and I are in, I mean, yeah, we're still in limbo. Our lives are difficult right now. But we're definitely in a way better financial position because we took your advice. Awesome. So, which was not financial advice. The show is not financial advice. Is not no, financial this is not financial Do your own research. <laughs> Do your own research. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think that is an admirable way to approach it. And I, I agree. I think, you know, I, I want to be part of something like that. There's a community that wants to help lift each other up. And yeah. it's authentic. And 
I guess we'll wrap it up there, right? Yeah, it's a good spot. Yeah. This was a good show. So don't forget to like, subscribe, comment on the video. Uh, please share it if you enjoyed the conversation. Um, also, Ramon, where can everybody find you? Uh, Twitter right now is probably the best place. Um, either Twitter or Instagram. You can just find me uh, at Ramon Govea. Uh, R-A-M-O-N. I will never mess that up again. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, it's not the worst uh, uh, botch I've ever heard anyway. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, Ramon Govea is my Twitter. Uh, just look for the for the ape picture, love it or hate it. And uh, uh, on Instagram, it's Marogue, M-A-R-O-G-U-E. And that's where I put a lot of art and comics and you know, animations. And everyone go to mythdivision.com if you want to check that's out our website. And, and the Myth Division Twitter is just at Myth Division. So if you want to see what um, what we're cooking in that, in that space. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ramon. Thanks yeah, for having me. Appreciate it, man. This was an awesome conversation. And we, we look forward to uh, the projects and all the things you, you have in the works. So. Thanks. I'm looking forward to uh, just growing the, the space and growing the metaverse with people who give a shit about shaping it. You know, We'll be here with you, man. So, All right. All right. Later, guys. Thanks Bye. for watching.